What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Before you drift off into one of our meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to share with you one of the new opportunities for our listeners at The Mindful Movement. This is Sarah Raymond, and I'm so excited to announce the expansion of our coaching services to include two of my good friends and excellent coaches, Nikki Dyer and Laura Cannon. Both Nikki and Laura provide their own unique skill sets, allowing us to meet the needs of our growing audience. If you want to learn more, just follow the coaching link in the show notes. As always, we are grateful for your support and look forward to working with you. Hello, and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond. Thanks for tuning in today for another episode. I got to speak with Brian Johnson, the founder and CEO of Heroic, a social training platform. Brian's also a successful entrepreneur and seems to be very organized at bringing together ideas around some ancient wisdom and modern science and technology, and uh, quite the passionate speaker. I find it I found it very motivating, actually. I got a little personal and vulnerable and talked about some things I was going through, and I'm looking forward to taking some of Brian's advice, actually, and um, deploying that into my personal life. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Brian Johnson, thanks for joining me on the Mindful Movement Podcast. Les Raymond, excited to be here. I hope I don't botch this. Is it Arete? Did I say that right? You know what? It's one of those words that nobody knows how to spell. Nobody knows how to pronounce. And it's actually debatable. But I go with Arate. Arate. So, yeah. Okay. So you have a book named Arate that just released. I haven't read it yet. I am looking forward to it. Can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to want to write that book? Yeah. Well, I'll step back and just frame it up. So Arate is an ancient Greek word. It's the one word answer the ancient Greek philosophers and ancient Stoic philosophers would have given you on how to live a good life. So the word directly translates as virtue or excellence, but has a deeper meaning, something closer to being your best self moment to moment to moment. And when you do that, you experience the summum bonum, the greatest good of life, which is, uh, they called it eudaimonia. We weakly translate that as happiness, but it's a really deep sense of joyful flourishing where you know you're doing what you're here to do. So that's the basic idea of Arate. I've spent half of the last 25 years as a founder CEO. I built and sold two social platforms before Facebook. And when I wasn't doing that, I was reading and writing and thinking and teaching as a lover of wisdom, a philosopher in an etymological sense. But basically, ancient wisdom, modern science has been my passion, integrating all of that into practical tools we can use um, to be our best selves in the modern world. So that's what led me to the book. It's the one word summation of my life's philosophy. I've also got a tattoo of it. Um, and uh, I'm all in on the basic idea of Arate. And uh, that's now a long answer to your short question. Nice. So a tattoo, is that for like just a daily reminder of what you feel your purpose is? Oh, look at I that. Got, I got this blur on, but dude, I'm not, I'm all in. I got Arte on this arm and then I got Heroic on this arm. Where is the blur factor? But yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's the ultimate tool, you know, in any given moment, I like to say you can be this version of yourself. And if there's a gap between who you could be and who you're actually being, it's in that gap in which regret anxiety, disillusionment exists, 
living with Arte is closing the gap. So yeah, it's kind of like the football player, you know, that looks down at their wrist to see the play they want to run. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's the play I'm running all day, every day. There's, trying a, to. there's a bunch of things there I would like to, to touch on. Um, you mentioned one word though. You, you mentioned a, a flurry of new words for me in one of those opening sentences. Um, some, um, hmm. some bonum. That's it. What can you touch on that again? Yeah. So this is Aristotle. Again, if, if you asked Aristotle what the ultimate goal of life is, the greatest good, summum bonum means greatest good, the highest good. Okay. He would tell you it's eudaimonia. Eudaimonia is two little Greek words, eudaimon, good soul. Now, again, we translate that word very weakly into English as happiness, but it's much deeper than happiness. It's not a, hey, yellow sticker, smiley face, happy. It's a, that, that knowing that you're being your best self. There's something that you can't really describe in English that's a felt sense of joy and purpose and meaning when you know you did your best in any given moment or day or week or month or whatever. That was the summum bonum, the greatest good of life. And, and um, that's what all the ancient philosophers were trying to be themselves and were helping their, their students and the leaders they trained to be in order to make a positive difference in the world. Um, so that's, that's uh, again, this was the highest good of, of the ancient world um, in all faith traditions. It's not just the ancient Greeks and Romans. I mean, if it, Stoics, if you look at all faith traditions, it's the same thing. It's no, be your best self in service to something bigger than yourself. Um, but it's also always been a challenge. 2,500 years ago, uh, again, this is what all wisdom and faith traditions um, tried to address that battle between the daimon, the good soul within you, and the demon. Literally, that's the diminutive of daimon. So the voice in your head, good and evil, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's the ultimate battle um, and the ultimate game of life. So how does one know, in your opinion, that they're uh, on that high road in any given moment? Like, how do you know where you are in relationship to the gap, which from what I'm gathering is uh, there's a path that is, represents your higher self and then the path that you're on in any given moment and whatever that delta is, that difference, um, you have, I guess, on some level, some type of suffering that emerges uh, out of thin air, uh, somewhere from within. Yeah, one of those, right? <laughs> or a little bit of everything, you know? Um, and I, I want to emphasize, this is not the gap between who you are today and who you think you should have been. If you had only pulled it together over the last 25 years, you'd be here. I'm not talking about that gap. Now, we all have that gap, too. But if in this moment, you're thinking about that gap, and then you're numbing yourself with whatever you do to numb yourself, you're not showing up in this moment as your best self. And then you're going to create more regret and disillusionment going forward. So I, I, it's one of those questions that you can't answer directly, but you know, you know, when you're showing up as your best self or approximating it or not, right? And it's usually not very gray. When I'm being impatient with my kids, pretty clear that well, wasn't <laughs> me at my best, right? right. Uh, if I'm indulging in another check of email or another social media hit or not doing the cold plunge I said I would do or the meditation or the exercise or, or eating the thing I just said I wouldn't eat. Very mundane, basic things. 
um, that give us an opportunity to be in integrity with the things we know we could be doing or not. But when in doubt, what I like to do is something called targeted thinking. So then you get clear on, all right, well, I'm unclear on what I should do in this moment. And I would offer, usually you're pretty clear. You just need to slow down long enough to ask, right? What would the best version of me do in this moment is the most direct way to get clarity. It's never yell at my kids or my wife or X, Y, and Z, right? Um, but knowing what you want in life, which for me is to be my best self, living with RTA to experience eudaimonia in service to something bigger than myself, I get clarity on that and I say, all right, well, what do I need to do in this moment in order to feel that I'm in integrity with that? And you don't need the perfect answer, but simply slowing down and asking that question um, gives you the opportunity to, as Viktor Frankl said, step in between stimulus and response. Mm -hmm. In between a stimulus and a response, he says, there is a gap. In that gap is your freedom. And it's, it's cultivating the awareness of the opportunity to express the best version of ourselves more consistently that I think is the ultimate game. And, and um, you know, you get good at anything by practicing it, right? Yeah. It seems like there's this important um, initial component of trying to identify where you're trying to go. You know, in, in the workplace, it's so common for people, especially like within business, there's like some form of like forecasting. You know, well, we did, uh, you know, this amount of sales last year. So our goal was this amount of sales this year. And then you work backwards and it kind of tells you what to do in that month on that day to work towards that. But when we go through whatever uh, traditional education systems or whatever, like nobody stops to, to work us through a similar um, process when viewing like our life more generally or like our health I, I work i work at a gym and in the beginning of working with a session uh, with someone in the session we're trying to like identify goals and most people have never given it any real thought of like there's like there's no forecasting yep so you know it's like what's the saying if you don't know where you're going any path will take you that's exactly right and i mean yeah i literally just had this conversation with the head coach for usa weightlifting just had coffee right before we jumped on, you know, so talking about the gym. All right, well, what do you want? Well, in that situation, they want to win a gold medal. But what I was talking to them about and him about is, yeah, 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 yeah. But the ultimate game is to be your best self. So can you win that ultimate game moment to moment to moment? And if you do, you use the context of going for the gold medal as an Olympic athlete um, or fill in the blank as an entrepreneur or a CEO or a trainer or whatever. Um, but I have the same experience, you know, working with people. It's like a muscle that hasn't been used. What do you want? Oh, shoot, I've been so busy just responding to life and, and just feeling enervated and burned out. And I, I lost a sense of agency. I lost a sense of, well, actually, I could create a life of deeper meaning and purpose, but that's hard work. And we got to slow down again long enough and ask ourselves that question. And you can't do it on New Year's you know, Eve and plan out your year, then forget it like the vast majority of people do X days into the new year. You've got to ask yourself that question day in and day out. Um, and it, but the good news is, as you do that, you get more and more clarity. And you realize, oh, okay, cool. So the ultimate game of life isn't what I've been seduced to believe. That's a 2,500-year-old challenge to pursue all the extrinsic stuff, the fame, the wealth, the hotness. It's the intrinsic stuff. I want to be a better person. I want to deepen relationships. I want to make a contribution to my family. Of course, I have to take care of myself. But I want these things. And again, this is what we do in the book and in my work is, is help you 
architect more and more clarity on these things. And then most importantly, live in integrity with those things. Um, and then again, that, that deeper sense of joy um, comes into the equation. Um, and the joyless urgency, you know, is kind of uh, uh, replaced with this, this type of uh, energy and conversation. Joyless urgency. That's interesting. I didn't come up with that phrase, and my goodness, it, four thousand weeks is the guy who came up with it. And I wish I, I got to—I got to know his name. I haven't written a note on his book yet, which is one of the things I do. Oliver Berkman, I think. Um, I need to properly attribute that because it's such a good phrase. Joyless yeah, that, urgency. That is good. I feel like uh, working with people in person—that's probably an expression I've seen in people's eyes many times. They—they they come in. They're very busy. They got out of college and they went in a, like a whirlwind of like stress and tasks and 15 years have gone by and that's the look on their face and they don't know like, what am I supposed to do now? It seems like I'm off track. Yeah. And it's, this is David Brooks's second mountain. So you get to the top of the first mountain, you got out of college, you go, did everything that you were told to do. You know, you've got this square footage, you've got this many kids, you've got this, you got, you checked all the boxes, you know, and some of which, of course, is incredibly important. But when pursued with joyless urgency, you get to the top of that mountain um, and you look around, you're like, what happened? I don't feel the joy that I was told I would feel at this stage. He says, yeah, yeah, perfect. Now it's time for the second mountain. And this is what I describe as the ultimate game. Stephen Covey said the same thing. He said, look, you got to be mindful because you can get to the top of a ladder very top rung. And then you look down and you realize I put it on the wrong wall. So what game are you playing? And, and, it, and again, this is the first objective of the book. We train coaches. It's the first objective. You got to know the right game. Because if a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step, but your first step's in the wrong direction, the faster you go toward that wrong de destination, the further away you get from where you really wanted to go. Right. Good news, all that energy isn't wasted, but you do need to slow down and start having conversations like these and more mindfully architect your life. In a world in which 80% of people are suffering from anxiety, depression, and nearly that many from overweight, obesity, chronic disease, et cetera, it's no measure of health. Krishnamurti said, it is no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Step back an inch, look at the game you've been seduced to play and decide whether it was the right game. Um, and if not, and it almost certainly wasn't, then what do you need to do to get joy? I have no problem with urgency. Life is short, but bring joy to it. You know, Bring a, a palpable sense of joyful gratitude to the sacredness of this moment um, and show up like you mean it with intention and purpose. Well, how do people differentiate, in your opinion, Brian, like being attached or creating an attachment to whatever they think will bring them joy compared to whatever attachment they've been chasing um, urgently, yet maybe not aimlessly, but joylessly? Uh, how, like, how do you know someone or oneself is not just trading one attachment for another and in doing so... Um, creating suffering in just a different direction. Yeah, my my sense of, of attachment, um, I think attachment will create suffering in almost every situation, but it's, it, the, you got to start with desire. So what do you want? So if you want the extrinsic stuff, and if you haven't thought about it, 
then you're almost certainly going after the things you've been told you should want, which are the extrinsic variables I briefly mentioned, but essentially fame, wealth, hotness, Instagram followers, square footage, you know, whatever, um, external measures. But scientists say that even if you are successfully pursuing those things, you are less psychologically stable than those who are pursuing the intrinsic. So I think that knowing what your desire is, is really important. Um, scientists also say there's something called a hedonic treadmill. Even if you make the money you wanted to make and you get this and you get that, the square footage, you're on a treadmill. You want more of that stuff. You're never happy. You're never satisfied. So you always got to go further and harder in order to get the thing you think will fill you up. That desire, even without attachment, is going to lead to suffering. Now, if you can shift it to the eudaimonic pursuit vis-a-vis -vis the hedonic and you try to be a better person, deepen relationships and make a contribution, um, it, everything shifts. So I like to start with the desire shift. And then, frankly, I want to be, quote, attached to being my best self. I want to be detached from the extrinsic outcome measures that I used to measure my well-being against. But I do want to hold myself to high standards and appropriately do the things I know I could do. And the moment I do that, I feel great. And there's no such thing as a eudaimonic treadmill. Um, and again, I'm not disparaging the extrinsic because it's important in a modern world. But that shift, I think, is important. Um, I'll pause there, knowing there's a lot of different ways we can go with it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess to some degree, the extrinsic is important in, in relationship to, um, I don't know, like Maslow's hierarchy. You know, if you if you don't feel say if you don't have some basics met it's it's hard to maybe shift your focus to um things that bring you joy or things that you feel like are more intrinsically important long yep. over the course of your lifetime well let's go straight there so then maslow um if i was in my home studio he'd be on the wall behind me as one of my heroes so maslow of course hierarchy of needs um and you, you ascend the hierarchy of needs, you get to a point where the need to self-actualize is as real as your need to breathe, is how I frame up. It becomes a fundamental human need. Anyone this deep into a conversation like this, again, each of us is always working on different parts of our hierarchy. It's never done, period. But we've reached a certain level of security, a certain level of esteem, a certain level of financial abundance. Not saying it's perfect, but this need to actualize our potential becomes as real as our need to breathe. I call it soul oxygen. And again, any, you and I, anyone on this call, we're at that point. And then you got to pay attention to that because that pain, that regret, that anxiety, that disillusionment is a good thing. It's showing you you're slightly not in integrity or significantly not in integrity with what you're here to be. And Maslow also said, we all have capacities clamoring to be used. And so that, that unrest is a sign that there's an opportunity to, to use the frame I'm using, close the gap. And again, he says, in any moment, you have a choice to step forward into growth or back into safety. Forward into growth, back into safety. If you consistently step back and allow that gap to exist, on the, at the end of those days are the days you want to numb yourself. Um, so I'm a huge fan of Maslow, and we're blessed in, in our conversation in, in this context to have a lot of those needs addressed. And um, this fundamental one uh, is sitting there waiting for us to pay attention to it. Um, can I ask you, how, how old are you, Brian? 49. 49. How you, old are you, Wes? I'm 46, I think. Yeah, 46. 
to good year. Um, it looks like you take pretty good care of yourself. That that I want to get into um, the social training platform you have, and maybe more of the book. But just real quick, I mean, to be able to focus on some of these um, some of these aspects of our of the way we show up in the world, there are some parts of like the physical body that need to at least be accounted for. You mentioned a few. Uh, categories a moment ago regarding um, you mentioned a cold plunge and meditation and exercise and eating are are there any strategies that you feel have become like staples of your life or your day-to-day routines that allow you to to work on all these other things and just know that the the meat suit that you're walking around in is going to be there for you yeah you look great as well we got the same hairstyle we're just rocking the same look let's go um, and thank you for your kind words. So yeah, so just to frame it up briefly, um, objective one in my book and in everything we do is you got to know the ultimate game. You step back the way we discussed. Objective two is you got to forge anti-fragile confidence. You got to know it's supposed to be hard. Most people feel worse because they think they should be succeeding in the wrong game easily. So it's supposed to be hard. A good hero's life is challenging, but you got to create the confidence in yourself longer chat. Then I simplify it all into the big three, energy, work, and love. Freud said that a good life comes down to two things, work and love. I say yes, and if your energy sucks because of poor lifestyle choices, good luck showing up in your work or your love. Then I go even deeper and I say, today's the day to make it a masterpiece. That's objective four. Then I get into mastering yourself, which is the art and science of behavioral change. Um, that and anti-fragile confidence are my two favorite subjects. Then I get into objective six is dominate the fundamentals. Um, so eating, moving, sleeping, breathing, and focusing your mind are the five fundamentals I focus on. Um, and the reality is our physiology drives way more of our psychology than most people understand. So if you're struggling with figuring out your purpose, and I know you know this, but if you're, figure, if you're struggling figuring out your purpose and what you want to do with your life, um, that's a lot harder to control than the controllables of when you go to bed, when you're picking up your phone, what you're putting in your mouth, whether you're moving your body, et cetera. So I train um, like a disciplined athlete. So I show up... Um, and I, I play the margin. So I'm traveling. I brought all my food. I brought my sheets to the hotel. I don't want to, I don't want to sleep on their sheets. You know, like I literally this, I'm that guy. So uh, I'm in bed for eight, nine, 10 hours a night. You know, I'm going to bed after I tuck in my kids, I train, you know, simple things, but I train every day, obviously. Um, not now, obviously, but of course, when one is serious, they're doing that recovering as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I follow a set protocol. Um, and, you know, I keep things simple, um, control the controllables. And then I find that I have the, the energy to show up more powerfully in my work and my love. Um, yeah, a lot more we can talk about there. But yes, I am uh, attuned to the importance of the fundamentals. That's interesting. I just have to add, uh, my family and I recently went on a trip and we just Airbnb and we got to a place and we we couldn't use the beds like the chemicals that they were like washing, like, I guess we're really sensitive because we never use that stuff, like the laundry chemicals. So we wind up going to a store and just buying sheets at the local <laughs> store, coming out, washing them and swatching them on the bed. But dude, you, got, I got, you bring your I, own. That is dude, next level. I bring your own sheets, dude. I got my food. I mean, look, I got a king size set. I got my queen set. I'm like, um, it's ridiculous. I'm joking with my wife as I'm making the, the hotel bed. 
but whatever, you know, little things, the margins matter. And, uh, I care, you know, and, and it's fun for me. And I want to make the important point here. These are not chores. I'm not sitting here saying, Oh God, I, I do this, whatever. These are gifts. Every single little thing I do is a gift I'm giving to my future self. And there's a whole chat we can have about people who are flourishing, who have made a connection between their current selves and their future selves. You can bring people into an fMRI study and ask them to think about themselves and a part of their brain will light up for everybody, the self-center. Then you ask them to think about a stranger, a different part of your brain lights up. Then you ask them to think about their future self. And this is the study. For some people, the stranger part of their brain lights up when they think of their future self. For other people, the ones who are flourishing and have more discipline, the future self lights up the self-center. So every single little thing I'm doing for myself, from being in bed for nine to 10 hours a night, to meditating, to moving, to eating a certain way, these are not chores. I'm begrudgingly checking off a list. They're literally things I'm enjoying in the moment that I know are giving me greater joy in the future. And Seneca talked about this 2,000 years ago. He said, how much better to pursue a straight course where doing what is best for you is what you most enjoy. Now, it takes time. You have to fortitude or you have to strengthen your pertinacity, he says. You have to build your discipline such that doing what's best for you is what you most enjoy. But it happens. And it's just an important thing to clarify because then the joy comes in. You know, it's not a, oh, shoot, there I am out in felt like two degrees i'm from i'm from california transplanted to austin where it's hot two degrees feels like two degrees in chicago you know but perfect cold exposure is one of my targets let's go hero i'm having fun (laughs) out there banging out the burpees yeah Uh, there's definitely something to be said that when you're clear on why you're doing stuff the it the the conflict um dissolves like the chore like nature it becomes a little bit more matter of fact and you do enjoy things once you're used to them we're such habitual creatures that we're generally going to enjoy whatever is familiar. It's just overcoming some initial inertia to, to change, you know, the habits. And then you wind up, you know, we're, we're all addicts. You're going to be addicted yeah. to whatever you're doing regularly. But yeah. once they're the things you're addicted to are in a line with the things that you identify as something you really value. Um, yeah, they are gifts the gifts to your future self that's a really great concept to think about when you're taking part in any activity um, Hmm. that is put there in your schedule where you've allocated minutes of your day to aim in that direction yeah and i I love that i talk a lot about two different ais so everyone thinks of artificial intelligence but I like to talk about ancient intelligence. So to your point that we're all addicted to being ourselves, essentially, and doing the things that, that we've said or that we've done repeatedly, it's your basal ganglia. You know, So one of the most ancient parts of our brainstem, 250 million years old, is basically what makes you do the things you do. Now, when you want to create new habits, you got to reprogram. You got to be an AI programmer, an ancient intelligence programmer, and reprogram your basal ganglia such that it becomes, it would be harder for me to stay up late and to, to go binge on Netflix like I used to do on the days I most needed to get a good night of sleep. I was most stressed would be the days I'd stay up late doing the very things I knew I shouldn't do. And I wake up the next morning feeling the whatever. Now it would be much harder for me to eat all the sugary stuff I used to eat. I used to live at all the fast food restaurants. That was just who I was. I'd, I'd buy one pizza, get one free. 
eat one for dinner, the next one for breakfast and lunch. All right, that's like me. Now, that would be almost impossible to do. So we got to go through that phase where you're, you're retraining yourself to do what you know is best for yourself. But it, it's, it's longer than you'd like it to be, but it's not as long as you think it will be. You know, your taste buds are turning over every 14 days or something absurd like that. So oh, everything shit. changes more quickly than you think. But you got to have clarity on what you want. You got to be willing to have the honesty to look at where you're out of integrity, then get excited about it and say, if you've created a life that's pretty cool, if you're this deep in this chat, you got a good life. Celebrate that first and foremost, accept it, celebrate it. But then imagine what you could do in your life if you started doing even a fraction of the things you know you could be doing. Like, right. That, that should be exciting, you know? So you you mentioned that you used to live at fast food restaurants. Did you go through some type of um, turning point where there was like a shift uh, where uh, some type of transformation unfolded or? Yeah, 25 years ago, I was thinking about ending my own life, to put it very directly. So my, I grew up in a blue collar, lower middle class family, father worked in a grocery store, struggled with alcohol, good man, but struggled with alcohol, his dad struggled with alcohol, ended his own life. And I know what that felt like going through that. And then I had none of these skills 25 years ago. So, you know, I drop out of law school, got no idea what I want to do with my life. And and I'm thinking about ending my life. So I know what that feels like. And then I know what I've done to build the scaffolding is how I like to put it, where we all have highs and lows because we're human. But I know I'm never going back there. But I also know that if I started doing the things that I used to do, I'd, I'd, be, a, I'd be a circus slash nightmare. Um, you know, so, so again, I've also been humbled by, I know what that's like. I know what this is like. I like this much more than I like that. <laughs> Therefore, let me create some bright lines and do the things that I know work for me. Um, so I'd say that was certainly influential in my path. Um, and uh, part of what gives me so much clarity uh, to, to practice with the, the rigor with which I practice these things these days. Gotcha. So you've been a busy guy. You've built a couple social platforms. And now I guess you're on your third heroic is would that be yeah. considered a social platform yeah it's um yeah it's in beta right now but a, a, a social training platform so i built um a company that that literally based technology that literally baseball used back in the day so it was a social platform for little league teams ayso soccer teams three million teams used it um i started that 25 years ago after dropping out of law school and then I created another business that, that uh, John Mackey of Whole Foods invested in, nearly bought, um, which was for people who wanted to make a difference in the world before Facebook. I sold that to a different publicly traded company. It died a sad death that many startups do. And then I waited 18 years for someone to create an alternative to Facebook. So Heroic is a social training platform. And the, the training part of it is to help people do the things we just discussed, moving from theory to practice to mastery together. So, you know, there's two ways to change your life. You listen to a podcast like this, you read a book, you take a class. That's important. Wisdom is kind of uh, inside out, if you will. But then the faster way to change your life is to join a community of people with high standards. So with Heroic, we combine both. We give you a lot of wisdom and we give you a community of individuals passionate about these ideas outside of the toxicity of most of the social platforms. Um, but we built it with the same company that built Slack, Tinder, Uber Eats, Elon Musk went to them to build Neuralink. And um, we're really excited about it. And um, 
again, long answer to your short question. That's that's the basic idea with heroic. Uh, without the toxic component, that's that sounds important. Um, yeah, little detail. Attention <laughs> economics don't help. If you've seen the social dilemma, we want to be an answer to the social dilemma. Gotcha. That's we made history, crowdfunding history, raised five million dollars from our community, ten million actually. But the first community to ever raise five million, first company to ever raise five million via the new SEC regulations. And the pitch was we're an answer to the social dilemma. The Netflix documentary on what happens, the unintended catastrophic consequences of businesses that are run hacking your attention like the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the TikToks, et cetera, who make money, you're their product. They make money selling your attention. So that's the idea. Use the best of social and persuasive technology for the best. Bring it out in each of us. Um, you know, I've got a 30-year gold tattooed to my body that you can't see because I'm in fuzzy mode, but to help create a world in which 51% of humanity is flourishing by the year 2051 which is what the positive psychologists set for themselves in the year 2000. Um, but that's, Wait, that's what I've dedicated my life where, to. Where are those numbers? You said 51% by 2051. Where do those numbers come from? Martin Seligman. Do you know his work? I don't know. Okay. So Martin Seligman um, was the president of the American Psychological Association in the year 2000. And he launched what's known as the positive psychology movement with Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, the guy who coined the word flow, and a few of his other colleagues. In the year 2000, they wanted to create a science that would help people, basically extending Maslow's ideas. So Maslow was a, quote, positive humanistic psychologist in the 50s and 60s. So Seligman wanted to take that and advance it. And in the year 2000, they said, can we help create the research, the empirical evidence that can help create a world in which 51% of humanity is flourishing by the year 2051? The first time I heard that, I thought he was insane. I still think the goal is crazy, but I've tattooed my body with it. And um, we want to play our roles, you know, humbly yet heroically well with you and with everyone else that is committed to making a positive difference in the world. I wonder what percentage of the people on the planet now consider themselves flourishing. And Dude, what would be what would be interesting is to see that bracketed by income, like how many people are really well off that don't feel they're flourishing and how many people, most people would look at as very, you know, impoverished, but are seem to be happy and are flourishing. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it, it's a nuanced conversation, of course. And, and I think you're absolutely right that many of those living in, in what we would perceive to be materially impoverished are flourishing much more than those of us who are kind of drowning in abundance, you know, and mm -hmm. just have taken nearly all of it for granted. And it's just on that hedonic treadmill. Um, but it's, it's a frighteningly small percentage of people that are currently flourishing, depending on the metrics you want to look at. Um, but it's a measurable thing. We've run some a number of studies on our platform. Um, and um, we've seen significant results. And now it's just a matter of this. I mean, this is why I'm excited to be here with you. The work that you're doing is really important. You know, how do we together amplify our own um, practices and inspire others to do the same in their own idiosyncratic ways. Um, and together, you know, it's Gandhi 101, paraphrased, be the change you want to see. Like the only way we're going to meet what I perceive to be historically significant challenges is if each of us steps up, shows up as that best, most heroic version of ourselves. Um, again, in service to something bigger than ourselves. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a daunting challenge. I mean, I, I you know, I'm just took a plan, 
got into a plane, went through the airport the other day, you know, you go to any normal, you know, grocery store and you're like, wow, you know, our culture is just, it's sick, literally and metaphorically. Yeah. Um, we got a lot of work to do. Hard to make good decisions in most grocery stores these days. Dude. And, and again, yeah, longer chat, obviously, but yeah, <laughs> it is. And it requires that half an inch, inch stepping back of, huh, I wonder if these choices are what are best for me, but it, it takes people like us who are blessed to be in this dialogue. Um, you know, my dad wasn't thinking about this. My mom was, my, they were just working hard. They were doing their best, you know, but um, they weren't given right guidance. You know, no right. one was telling them, you know, from the baby book that my pictures are in, you know, it's sponsored by a formula company. Didn't get a drop of breast milk. Well, that didn't help, you know, and, and, this the, the the cultural bias toward the less than optimal right now, to put it diplomatically, is significant. Right. Um, and again, we don't want to be uh, whatever um, that guy about it, but I think it's important that we step back. We we have a vision for a better future, um, and then we develop the skills to to share the wisdom we may have and and uh, embody it and all that good stuff. So, how does this new platform Heroic do that? How does it bring people like like-minded people together and collectively move towards this 51 percent yeah so if you look at the app there's a navigation that that is today and then theory practice mastery and together so the together is basically the social platform it's facebook without the facebook is how i like to joke about it it does all the things you'd expect from facebook without the things that you don't want to see on facebook so you know basic social technology um, that we're excited to bring offline as well and help people connect with one another offline. Um, you mean the, like in person, like in real life? In real life. Can you imagine that? So, yeah. So creating, you know, communities around your gym, um, around the different places that you're connecting with others, because people who are listening to this right now have more in common with other people listening to this than most people in their lives. Right. You know, even the coach from USA Weightlifting, his friends are out, you know, a lot of them drinking 10 beers over the weekend. You know, he's like, oh, I'm excited. I got an accountability partner. I can do this and I can do that. But the real heart of the app is, and then we have a lot of theory. So I, I've distilled a lot of wisdom in different contexts. We've got a lot of um, wise teachers, et cetera, but it's the practice. So what I'm most excited about is the practice where we help people get clarity on who they are at their best in their energy, their work, and their love. And then we want to help you get clarity on what you were doing when you were at your best, create a protocol such that your prior best becomes your new baseline. And that's what we've scientifically studied, that if you hit even one target, we create targets for you, behavioral targets, um, you're 23% more energized than those who don't. Randomized controlled trial study, um, we can make causal statements about it. When you get clarity on who you are at your best and you, you operationalize the stuff we're talking about right now, you go from the abstract to, yeah, well, what does that mean? Um, that's the heart of the app is the practice tool, but doing so within the context of um, a community of people. Can you give an example of like what that looks like for the user? Um, like they open the app and they have, is it like these are your tasks today and then at the end, you're like sharing that with the community yeah. what you've accomplished or? Yeah, I wish I was in the home studio again because I'd share my phone. I got this little setup where I can share it. But we talked about the seven objectives. So the third objective was you got to optimize the big three, energy, work, and love. But what we help you do in the app is we help you get clarity on your identity in your energy, work, and love. 
And identity means repeated beingness. James Clear talks about it in Atomic Habits. So I want to know who you are at your best energy. I'm a disciplined athlete. That's the identity from which I live. In my work, I'm heroic philosopher CEO, which means a lot to me. I run heroic public benefit corporation. I intend to be a philosopher and CEO integrated. And then I've got an identity in love, joyful soulmate. Right now, I feel like we're connecting soul to soul. I want to connect with whoever's listening to this, soul to soul, best self to best self. Anyway, I have an identity I'm committed to living from. And then we help you get clarity on virtues you embody, which is a longer chat. Eulogy virtues are very, very important. Um, and then I want to know what you do. Specifically, what three things do you do when you're at your best? Energy, work, and love. And, and we have a systematic way of architecting it such that you get clarity and you know what you do. I know what I do. Um, and uh, the listener would know what they do. Um, and then we have you commit every morning. It takes you 60 to 90 seconds, two minutes to commit to being that version of you this morning. Um, and I like to say that New Year's resolutions are nice. New Day's resolutions are much more powerful. So in the morning, the first thing you do when you use technology is you tap, tap, tap certain things in the app, little haptic response. Yes, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. I'm going to be this type of person. Your intention is set, your attention follows, and you do those things. Knowing I'm saying a lot, I started using the app. Um, before my wife, well, my wife knew, but my mother-in-law who lives with us part of the year, um, didn't know I was using the app, but I was committing to finding little moments of connection with her and with my kids. Now I'm a decent guy. At least I try to be right. But I was trying to do it more deliberately and I can get stuck in my head and just kind of be that guy too. Anyway, within days of using the app and committing to finding little moments with her and with my kids. She told my wife, something's different. Gives me tears in my eyes. Something's different about Brian. <laughs> you know? And it was one of those things of, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what happens when you remind yourself of what's important and you actively look for moments too, not just cold plunge and meditate, which of course I commit to every morning, but to find micro moments with you right now. This is a moment I created an attention for when I started my day. And with my wife and with my kids, I'm hugging my kids every day. Simple little target. I'm recommitted to being married with my wife for 51 years. We're 17 years in. Been along. It's been a good 17 years, but I want another 34, you know? So I'm, I'm making these tiny little commitments, and then I'm hitting these targets um, and simply hitting one of those targets a day. Again, we have scientific um, proof isn't the right word, but demonstration that you will be 23% more energized because you're simply, you now know who you are at your best, and you're committing to that. Um, so it's not a mystery. You've shown up at your best. We just need to get need you to get to that place more consistently. Um, we can talk about the really practical way I help people take the first step, but I know I've said a lot, so I'll pause there. That that's how I'm using it um, on the high level. Yeah, it sounds like uh, it could be a powerful tool. You mentioned meditation as a part of your routine. Meditation is kind of a big part of this channel. Um, is there a type of a meditation that you practice regularly or do you mix it up? What's your go-to? Yeah. So um, I've missed one day in the last 16 years of meditation oh, wow. and it's ranged from, you know, 15, 30, 60 minutes, um, AM, PM. I've, I've varied the length, but I haven't skipped a day other than one where I accidentally day started quick and I got to the end of the day after years of meditating and oh shoot, next morning I realized I didn't meditate yesterday. 
I do something that I, I call heroic meditation, which involves five different steps. First, I train my breath and just quiet my mind and um, deliberately train my breath through a certain pattern. Um, and I'll do that for a minute to 11 minutes, depending on how long I'm going to meditate. Um, and then I'm all about virtue, which we haven't talked a lot about, but there are cardinal virtues and other virtues science say are most highly correlated to your well-being. The back cover of the book has those eight virtues that have declarations. I silently affirm those in my head every morning after doing the breath work. Then um, I have these heroes on my wall at home. And I literally talk to them in my meditation. They talk to me and give me guidance. My joke is kind of like uh, Dumbledore's headmasters on the wall, you know, at Hogwarts. They literally come, up, come to life for me a bit. Ralph Waldo Emerson, Abraham Lincoln, Marcus Aurelius, Joseph Campbell, my coach, Phil Stutz. And they give me guidance for the day, you know? Um, that's the third part of it. Um, then I envision kind of what you described with the business. I do that every day. So I imagine a world in which 51% of humanity is flourishing by 2051. Then I break it down to 2030, 2025. And then I imagine today. And I see myself going out, living in integrity with my values. And then the last part is silence. Um, that I do that every day. And it varies from, you know, uh, 11 minutes, 15 minutes to 30 minutes this morning. It was about 45 minutes. Um, and that's that's what I do. And I know that this is what your show is about. And I can't think of a more powerful practice. You know, we train our bodies. We absolutely must train our minds in order to connect to that best version of ourselves. This is, again, when you look at the daimon, that wisdom that's always within, and that stimulus response, if you want to step into that gap and claim your freedom, you have to practice something like meditation or mindfulness, um, uh, full stop. So when these characters talk to you, do they have different, they have like their unique voices and personalities? They do. I mean, it's, it's, uh, and they say the same exact thing every day. <laughs> okay. it, it's really funny. Emerson tells me, trust thyself. So trust thyself. Every hard vibrates that iron string. Lincoln shows up. He tells me to win the civil war within my own head in order to, you know, help win that external war. Aurelius tells me to play my role well. He was a reluctant emperor, wanted to be a philosopher. Frankly, I'd, I'd prefer just to read, write, and teach, and I feel called to lead a bit. Um, and then Campbell, the great mythologist, tells me we train heroes. And then Phil Stutz, my coach, who's in the Netflix documentary called Stutz, tells me a lot of different things, actually. But I love pain. We love pain, uncertainty, and hard work is his big thing. You're never going to be exonerated from those three things, pain, uncertainty, and hard work. Um, but yeah, they've kind of got their own little, their own little power to them. Um, That's funny. It, it's been powerful for me. I have them visually represented in my office for the last couple of years. Um, it's good to it, have tools in the toolkit that help you, you know, whatever, whatever works. More the merrier and used often, most importantly. So you affirm these uh, virtues you mentioned. Can you, would you mind running down those eight virtues? Yeah, I'd be honored to. So the ancient, um, Greek and Stoic philosophers and all wisdom traditions come down to essentially four cardinal virtues. Wisdom, most of the time they use temperance as a word, but temperance is a very weak word for discipline or self-mastery, ability to do what needs to get done, whether you feel like it or not. So wisdom and discipline, um, all of them talk about courage and all of them talk about justice is a really weak word for love. 
again, if you actually, all, all faith traditions, wisdom traditions come back to love. I mean, that is, um, at the end of the day, everything. So wisdom, discipline, love, and courage are the four cardinal virtues. And then science came in and the entire positive psychology movement was founded studying all the ancient wisdom traditions, the Greeks, the Roman Stoics, you know, the Judeo-Christian Islamic faith traditions, Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, Confucianism. And they said, oh, wow, what they all have in common is virtue. All of them are grounded on virtue, those four virtues. And then they added four more to the mix that have been scientifically proven to be correlated to your well-being. These include gratitude. So gratitude, it's impossible to be simultaneously grateful and depressed in the moment. It's more nuanced than that. But in a moment, you can't be both. Um, hope. Gratitude and hope are tied for a second as the most powerful virtues. If you're not hopeful, you're hopeless. If you're hopeless, you're en route to depression. It's that simple. We can talk about the details. And then curiosity, being open to life and paying attention to what's working and what needs work. Um, and then love again. And then uh, a weird word, zest, is actually the virtue most highly correlated with your well-being. I call it energy. So this is why I obsess about the physiological, easily controlled things, eating, moving, sleeping, breathing, focusing your mind, um, because your zest is most highly correlated and predictive of your well-being. Um, your physiology is driving a lot more of your psychology than you think. So wisdom, discipline, love, courage, gratitude, hope, curiosity and zest are the eight virtues um, that I reflect on I, I, thousands and thousands. If I'm on a walk, it's kind of like my mantra too during the day, you know, um, just it's kind of on repeat in my meditation and throughout the day. It's on the back cover of the book. Um, to me, that's everything. If you can figure out which of those virtues you need in any given moment, that's another way to close the gap. What am I lacking right now? Love, courage, curiosity, hope, zest, gratitude, um, you know, there's always uh, discipline, there's always an opportunity to um, get clarity on that, embody it, etc. Yeah, that's interesting. Just hearing those, there's one that pops out at me is something that maybe I could use some help with. Um, and I, I don't think I'm alone with this too, but I don't think a lot about actively being hopeful. And I feel like my sense of hopefulness probably has taken a hit over the last few years um probably because i'm paying too much attention to what's on my phone or social media or news um but i yep. yeah i don't you know when i think of when i hear like gratitude all those other words or most of them like i definitely know that i have had experiences where i've brought myself to better places mentally by putting resting my attention on those concepts yep and i feel and just hearing that that one popped out of me like oh you could use that man <laughs> well let's let's go there we all can we all can um every day you know um so hope there's a science to hope um it has three components one you need to start by having a vision for a better future so you want to radically accept your life as it is right now but you want to see a better future and you want to have a specific target that you're aiming your life force, your soul force at. Aristotle said we're teleological. Telos is a target. Happy people have targets. So hopeful people have something they're working toward in their energy, their work and their love or, or a combination of those three. But you got to see a better future, even in the midst of the global despair. 
Um, you gotta, you gotta see, we can, we can get through this. That's the difference between hope and hopelessness. The victim doesn't have that. The victim is looking outside of themselves and all they're doing is criticizing and blaming and complaining and giving up their hope and they don't see a better future. So we need to see a better future for ourselves and for humanity. That's step one. Step two is you got to have agency which is a sense of self-efficacy um, or belief that you can make that future a reality. That's the second step. Um, then the third step is you have to have a plan. It's not enough to see it and to believe you can create it. You have to have a plan that you can believe in and start taking action against. And you have to be willing to have multiple pathways to that outcome, knowing it's gonna be hard. Um, and it's a very dynamic process, but you need each of those three elements. Again, that vision of a better future, a goal you're inspired by, a sense of agency that you can create it, and a specific plan through which you think you can create that better future. That's the science of hope. I come back to this relentlessly in my own life, in my work with the coaches that we train, because um, everyone's feeling this despair, the, the overwhelm, the hopelessness, um, which leads to the downstream anxiety, depression, um, but again, paradoxically, the way to build more hope isn't in your mind, it's in your physiology. So control the controllables. The world's out of control right now. Just when you think it can't get worse, the last 75 days happen. I'm not an easily terrified guy, but this is, these, are, these are times in which any um, being that's thinking deeply is, should be rightfully concerned. And control the controllables. Take care of yourself. Get your... Get your your energy dialed in through the things we talked about, knowing your physiology drives your psychology, your gut's producing 80, 85, 90% of your body's serotonin, the feel good, you know, hormone that, that is an antidepressants. But where's your psychiatrist that's telling you that to reduce the sugary drinks and the, and the refined foods and to get your gut biome optimized through your eating and then make sure you're moving, make sure you're getting proper amounts of sleep. Anyone not sleeping seven hours a night, sleep, not time in bed. You're, you're asking to feel hopeless. The science is unequivocal. The odds of you being the human being that can get by on less than seven hours of sleep because of some genetic mutation are the same as your odds of getting struck by lightning in your lifetime, one in 11,000. So you can literally change your life overnight, get one more hour of sleep if you aren't getting seven hours of sleep. There's I'm a, a different... one in 11,000 chance of getting struck by lightning. Isn't that interesting? That's my that understanding. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> I bet That's you, I, but yet, a yeah. way greater chance than I would have guessed. <laughs> right? I know. I, you know. We'll take it up with Matthew Walker if that isn't accurate. I haven't done my fact checking. But in Why We Sleep, he talks about that. But, but you know, I know what it feels like, to, as I described, to feel the depths of despair. And I also know what it feels like to not feel what I feel right now. I got eight hours of sleep last night. Um, even at, at six and a half, I rarely go less than that. And that's on a travel day or I got something late going on, deliberately stretching. Um, I feel different. I can't see the world with the same level of optimism and hope we're talking about. It's just literally not possible. And I don't go off the rails. But then also my leptin, my ghrelin, all the other hormones are dysregulated. So now I want to eat the things that I know I shouldn't be eating and everything goes in the vicious spiral. So a good night of sleep is somewhat surprisingly one of the fastest way to build your hope. Get your physiology dialed in, get your sense of energy and zest dialed in, um, and then we'll be able to attack the purpose and the bigger, harder to answer questions um, with more grace and wisdom. Yeah, that's very good advice. Um, yeah, the sleep, there's no, it's funny, there's like no nootropic or no supplement or no thing you could eat 
that is better than a, a good night's sleep. And so many people out there just have lost the reference of what a good night's sleep is because they're they're yep. so rare. They think they have enough, but they they don't really know because they've yep. <laughs> there's no reference for them anymore. Because uh, yep. you know, like where we live, the people I work with, everything is so busy. Everybody's so busy. Mm so busy like the calendars the schedules are just so crazy and um that's just one aspect that people that winds up falling down the like priority list yeah <clears throat> yeah matthew walker the great science researcher says that you have what you described he calls it baseline resetting you you don't have a a, a uh, standard to measure yourself by both in terms of the amount of sleep you actually should get um, and how you could feel your baseline has been reset down you have now normalized to this state of feeling slightly burned out or really burned out or slightly tired of fatigue and just man, not really feeling it you've reset that baseline but again what's exciting is to say it positively if we can change a few keystone behaviors um we can make significant progress. And then we can make the connection between the, if this, then that. It's what we teach our kids, 11 and six-year-old. They don't like being sick. All right, cool. Well, if you do this, then that leads to that. Let's make the connection. And let's choose the wiser course. Give that gift that we talked about. Um, and again, life takes on a deeper level of joy. You feel more in control, which is the other thing that's happening right now. All agency, a lot of agency has been... Um, diminished if not outright destroyed constantly responding to the stimuli and that treadmill of, of joyless urgency we've talked about a few times yeah boy brian you packed in a lot of information um in this talk and i would there's some other things i would like to uh talk about do, do you have any more time where we dude have... i got more time i've really okay. enjoyed our connection and, and i have all the time you'd like and i appreciate your thoughtfulness and um it's just been a, a wonderful conversation the like the um the hopeful thing it kind of hits me to i don't want to get well i guess i get a little personal i run a brick and mortar gym and it was doing really well and this is something i put like a decade into built it up from almost nothing to a very lively robust successful uh gym and then when covid hit it got shut down and you know the value of that gym kind of acted as like a 401k for me which in the fitness world there's not a lot of like 401k type stuff so the value of that business was that, and then it was also my income and primary income. And it just like got obliterated and it's never come back really. So it's been like hanging on by a thread. And I've kind of, after a year, yeah, I've licked my wounds by now. I've like, uh, first I like compartmentalized it and I just like went for a walk every day and I was like, okay, this stressful thing is over here. There's nothing I could do about it <clears throat> right now. And um, and then now it's like, I thought it would come back by now. Like I thought people that were members would come back and for the most part, they have not. So the gym is a very different place. And when I think about the hope, it's like, it's, I realize that I haven't um, identified, well, part of it is like, I felt so emotionally burned from what happened because i feel like well i didn't do anything wrong here and you know this was like mostly policy driven that shut me down 
And um, like there were other gyms that had different policies they adhered to that did fine. Yeah. So that was like, it was like a sting for me in a way. Cause I was like, Oh, this was kind of done by, this was done by people. And I didn't, I didn't do this. Like I ran this business. Well, I treated everybody right. And, um, but I feel like I got so emotionally burned from the experience that I don't, I haven't had it in me to pour myself back in to the degree that I did, you know, 13 years ago when I was building it up. Yep. So it's just like teetering and I've yep. been okay with it. I've like come to um, like, I've totally accepted it. And I'm like, you know, even if it doesn't make the money, even if it, you know, it's like, it means something, it's part of my identity. It provides a service to the people that use it, the community. And it's still a place for me to go and work with people face to face, which is really what I enjoy the most. And, um, but it's interesting when I think about hope, like, cause I don't feel hopeful that it's going to turn around. And yep. part of it is because, um, you know, I don't have it in me because yep. well, what if that happens again? Like, I'm not, I'm not going to pour my, I'm not going to devote that much. You know, I feel like, like I said, it's like an emotional burn. And I wonder if there's something that I'm, I don't want to say missing, but if there's some like runway in front of me mentally to like move into some window of opening to go through within like these list of virtues, something that um, will allow me to either process that more effectively to like move on to whatever's next stage for it or, or to find it in me to build it back up. Yep. Yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate you sharing. And, uh, you know, my business wasn't affected by COVID per se, but we we made history as the first company to ever raise five million, as I mentioned, via the crowdfunding regulations. Um, and then two days before we launched the app, now I've raised eleven million dollars, twelve, thirteen million dollars at that point. Two days before we're going to launch the app, I tell my wife, "Hey, I'm excited to to launch this." You know, I, we're live streaming it to like I don't know seven, eight thousand people or something. You know, I got three thousand investors that are excited about it. I'm prepared. I'm usually an anxious dude for talks, whatever, right? And I'm like, I'm going to enjoy this weekend. I'm going to really have a good time this weekend. Usually I don't enjoy it till I'm done. But we're ready. The app's working, et cetera. Two days before, I get a letter from the UPS dude made out to the legal department, heroic legal department. I'm sharing my own equivalent, oh my God, moment, right? Um, not equivalent, but parallel. Um, made out to the legal department, letterhead SEC. Securities and Exchange Commission, pretty sure that's not a winning combination. Long story short, they opened up an investigation into our business, our public benefit corporation, um, for reasons we do not know, we cannot talk about, and all these different things. Literally two days before I'm going to launch the app. Now, I'm, I'm out raising $15 million. I'd signed contracts that were, uh, it's all that, all that is gone right? For a period of time. Now we navigated in eight months, usually takes 24, but it was one of those moments in which I felt something similar to what you must have felt in that moment. Um, and so there's the, the general, how I think one can approach those situations. Then there's the specific way I did. And I think we can talk about you, which is the most interesting thing I want to get to, but I just want to frame it up of, dude, I get it. Um, but this is the second objective anti-fragile confidence, where what we want to do is we want to get to a point where we move from being fragile past being resilient to being anti-fragile. 
we want to use life's inevitable challenges. And years was was unanticipatable black swan, as they would say, right? Like you can't predict that's going to happen. I couldn't predict that what happened to me was going to happen. But we've got to use those things to get stronger. This is Nassim Taleb who coined the word anti-fragile as a juxtaposition to fragility. And he says the wind will extinguish a candle, but it will fuel a fire. So we got to take life stressors. And again, yours was as significant as you're going to get. 10, 13 years of your life's energy put into a gym that overnight is out of business, essentially. And you've got to go re-architect your entire life. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine that, right? And being where we are now, three years after that, the question for you is, what do you want? So what do you want? And taking the time for me after my meditation is when I ask that question. So I'm trying to connect to my daimon, the best version of myself, and I'm asking it that question. And I'm reflecting on that every single day, 365 days a year. I'm clarifying the vision of what I want. And then I'm clarifying the plan through which I'm going to get that thing. So my creative question for you, and if we had time to go on a walk, you know, and talk about this, it'd be a really fun, deep chat. But I would want to know, what do you want? What we radically accept where we're at, but then what do you want? Because there's no question, if you wanted to, you can create a significantly more thriving and flourishing, however you define it, community center slash gym. Um, but there are capacities within you clamoring to be used that we need to address because that part of the, the, the gap there and you know you could be doing more and you haven't been able to turn it over back quite the way you want to, uh, we want to address, you know, because there's, there's that energy that you have as a community leader in the form of a gym owner who's really doing all the other things you're doing. But I'd want to craft that and, and get reps in on that of what do you want we got to know you can create it. If you want it, we rub it up against reality. We see the price you need to pay. We decide whether or not you want to pay it. But we don't give up the agency. And then what would a plan look like? <clears throat> and then it's all the details that go with forging any you know creative enterprise or business, et cetera. Um, but that's, that's one way to look at it. And then the thing that I did when I got hit was I doubled down on my protocol. I literally hit 101 targets in the app. And the law firm that we engaged to get us through the process, it's a tough process going through the SEC investigation, right? And they saw a lot of people lose their stuff over and over again. Our team showed up with, you know, we were hit and it was hard, but with this aspiration to embody wisdom and discipline and love and courage and gratitude and hope and curiosity and zest. We've, we wrapped it up in eight months, usually takes 24 months. The firm that we hired, hired me to keynote their partner talk. $1,700 an hour guys, you know, 250 of their top partners to talk about what I did in order to navigate that with what they perceived to be a deep level of grace and, and effectiveness. So your philosophy works when you work it. We just need to get clarity on who you are at your best. And then when you feel your worst, you need to be most committed to working that protocol. Um, that's, we haven't talked about it, but that's my coach, Phil Stutz, who guided me through this process as well. That's his number one thing. If you want what I call anti-fragile confidence, he calls it emotional stamina, the ability to deal with life, which is hard. Then you need to know what your protocol is of who you are at your best. And when you feel your worst, you need to be most committed to it. Most people, when they get hard, spin out and they do the vicious things. But what if instead, when you get hit, you slow down and you double down in your protocol? It's incredibly hard to do, but it's that simple. Then the thing that used to destroy you becomes a thing that literally makes you stronger. I mean, you run a gym, 
you don't go to the gym to lift styrofoam weights. You right. lift real weights. Now you, you lifted weights that, that had the risk of injuring you and perhaps it did injure you, but, but metaphorically, we got to see life's challenges like that. And then you got to slow down, double down on the protocol. Um, that's when I meditated two hours a day. So during that time, I meditated for an hour in the morning in an hour in the afternoon. And I was so insanely rigorous to all of the things that we discussed today. I showed up at the highest level, you know, there was just no flinching whatsoever. And that's um, one of the reasons why I have so much confident confidence in what we're talking about is I've seen it work for me at the lowest end of my life to the biggest challenges I've faced most recently. And I've had thousands and thousands of people in our community tell me that what I just talked about with you is the most transformative. If you can, when you get hit deep in your protocol commitment, everything changes, even getting three, five, 10% better um, at that. It's just fundamentally life-changing. Super long answer to your question. I love your frame. And I'm personally excited for you, by the way. I imagine you, I see you as a community leader who owns a gym, you know, and, and here you are leading this community that I'm honored to be with you in discussion, you know, um, for, but that's exciting. And then how are you, Les, going to give even more to the world in deeper integrity with more humility and wisdom and discipline and love and courage than you've ever given? Then that thing is your greatest gift. You know, the hero fights dragons, dude. We're not yeah. sidestepping lizards, right? Yeah, that's a powerful pep talk. I do appreciate it, Brian. Um, yeah, the wind that blows out the candle also, what what was it? That was good. It fuels the fire. It fuels the, the fire. Exact same wind, yep. Yeah, I think I've like backburnered it in my mind so much that I haven't really taken the time. Like I meditate regularly, but I haven't been meditating on that. You know, um, I've just let it kind of uh, run idle, I guess. And it's like, you know, shit or get off the pot. Like, I, regard, there's no necessarily wrong answer of how to handle it. But I owe it to myself to take some forward step, regardless of direction. Dude, 35 days left in the year to continue the pep talk. You know, I get excited about year end, new year, new you. Like, this is the time to imagine. And again, we got to make it not about you or me, but about the people we're serving. So your community needs you now more than ever before. So we need you to go from victim to creator to hero, not that you're a victim, but me, you, everyone here. How can you serve your community more profoundly? You know, and that becomes the creative game. And the byproduct of that is more financial abundance and all the other things that are important. As much as I... I um, shine shown a light on the extrinsic stuff it's insanely important you know for you can i put everything into heroic same thing you know like there's a level of um of uh reality that we need to embrace but then the exciting thing is how do we serve more profoundly how can you create even more value in your community how can you make your gym even more successful and thriving and deeply meaningful and joyful for you and everyone there than it's ever been and byproduct I'm making more money than I made pre-COVID. That's an absolute possibility. There's no question you can do that. Integrating your podcast, integrating what you've learned. Again, the humility and the, the, the deep commitment you have today. Like I personally get excited imagining you having known you now for an hour and 13 minutes. Like I'm like, David, what do we got, Les? Where are we going? And <laughs> where go, are you man. again? Because I want, I want to hang out in your gym and see the life you're going to bring to it, you know? Well, I appreciate that. Um, you know, not a lot of people, it, like my wife will ask me a lot, well, what do you want when I ask, you know, what should I do with the gym? And um, not a lot of people in my life that uh, propose those 
questions to me and and give that push. So, um, like I said, that is a much needed pep talk, and I do appreciate it. Uh, and I also just really appreciate your time today. And it seems like uh, you've just done a lot. You got a lot under your belt, and I am looking forward to diving a little deeper into the work that you've done and checking out the book and checking out the app. I do have it downloaded. I haven't uh, dove in yet, but I plan to. Is there anything else you'd like to share before I let you go? No, man, just thanks. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to connect and um, really, really enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate you um, taking us where you where you led us. It was fantastic. Sure. And where can people find out more? Yes, yeah, so Heroic. Um, you can find Heroic, the training platform in your iOS and Android app stores and Heroic.us is... Uh, is the website arete is spelled a-r-e-t-e um and uh yeah you can learn all about that and then we have a coach certification program too which is kind of our big thing right now we've trained 10,000 people from 100 countries on the ideas we're talking about um coach class 20 starts in january um learn more about that at heroic.us slash coach well, thanks, Brian. I really appreciate it. You're a very passionate speaker and uh, it's contagious. So I could probably use that and I do appreciate it. And for the listeners out there, always grateful for your listening. I hope you all have a great day. Well, thanks again for tuning in, everybody. I hope you enjoyed and I encourage you to check out some of the work Brian's put together through his book, Arete, and his uh, social training platform, Heroic. If you do test it out, let us know what you think. I hope you all have a great day. Thanks.